encouraging, so refreshing. If you knew who it was that speaks to you, you would ask him and he would give to you rivers of living water that will flow from your innermost being. He said you will never be thirsty again. And obviously he was speaking about a thirst that is different to a natural thirst. He was speaking about the thirst and the longing that comes from deep within us. He said, I will give to you rivers. Rivers that will meet that. That will flow from your innermost being and you never need to walk and live life without knowing that that thirst has been met. And so Father, I pray again, may the thirst and the longing that you've put in our hearts for more of you, Lord, may it be full this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are with us for the first time today, we have been, uh, we have been working our way through uh, the story of Jonah, and uh, most people know Jonah because he got swallowed by a big fish, and, uh, and he survived it, <laughs> amazingly, after th- being three days and three nights uh, inside a big fish in the sea, he made it out, probably didn't look too good when he was finished, but he made it out, and the Uh, The Bible tells us that that fish vomited him out and uh, God had a plan and a purpose for his life. But the interesting thing about, um, about the story of Jonah is this. Probably what we are reading over here was either that he had written it in the third person or alternatively he had told somebody else what had happened to him and they wrote it down for us. And what's interesting about that is sometimes we never understand the work of God in our lives in the story. It's only at the end that we fully understand that. You see, Jonah would at that stage, he, he knew and understood that he had run away from God. He'd been disobedient to God at that particular point in time as God spoke to him about going to Nineveh, to going to preach against that city and telling that city that that, that city was going to fall and be destroyed in 40 days. And so Jonah runs away from God. But then it's very interesting. It says God sends a storm. But he didn't understand that until later. But then it says, and God sent a fish. And he didn't understand that until later. And then it goes on, and we're going to read about that this morning. And it says, and then God sent him back a second time. And then it says, and God made a vine grow. And then God sent a worm. Can you believe that God can send a worm? And then God sent a hot wind. Uh, to blow upon him. And Jonah, as he reflects over his life and what's been happening in those circumstances, as he looks back at the end of his story, he's able to see, say, I saw the hand of the Lord in my life in the most unusual of ways. And I say that to you this morning because often we're trying to work out and figure out what God is doing in the middle of the story. But sometimes we need to wait before we start even talking about what is happening in our lives, until there's a sort of a sense where we're able to put, uh, join those dots and say, well, this was what God was doing in my life. Never underestimate some of the small things that are happening, even those maybe the hand of God. So we're going to read it from uh, Jonah chapter 4. 
um, the last chapter in the story. Sorry, I want to start from the uh, end of verse, uh, uh, end of chapter three and verse ten, um, because we need to see what uh, Jonah is responding to. So, verse ten says, "When God saw what they did." Now, this was speaking about the response of the Ninevites, these Assyrians who had responded to Jonah's preaching in the city of Nineveh. And uh, they had all repented. The whole city repented. In fact, even the animals um, were, were, were made to repent, if you can get your head around that one. It's quite difficult. But, um, but uh, there, there was a sense in that whole city responded to God, right down to even the animals. And so when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion on them. He doesn't destroy them, but rather he has compassion on them. And he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. And you would assume Jonah, remember, is a prophet. You would have thought Jonah would have said, yes, Lord. That's, he didn't do anything like that. In fact, what happens next almost boggles our brain. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. And guess who he was angry with? He was angry with God. I mean, like, what's going on here? He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding love. Do you believe that about God this morning? Do you believe he's a gracious God, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, like Jonah? A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, he goes even further. Take my life and let me die. I mean, how can you have suicidal thoughts when God is busy saving a whole city? For it's better for me to die than to live. I, th I think this guy's going through quite a serious crisis in his life. Well, it looks like it to me anyway. But the Lord replied, and here's a very, very significant question. Have you any right to be angry? Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and he sat down at a place east of the city. And then he made himself a shelter and he sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the sea. And guess what? He was waiting for its destruction. And then the Lord God provided a vine. Here's the vine bit now. That the Lord provided a vine and he made it grow up over Jonah and give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah, of course, was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. So there's blessing on the one side, and then there's like taking away the blessing the next day, which chewed the vine so that it withered. And then when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, second time around, do you have a right to be angry this time about the vine? <laughs> Jonah says, I do. I'm angry enough to die. This guy keeps on wanting this, has this death wish. I don't know why. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this vine, though you did not make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 
120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well, should I not be concerned about this great city? And as we, as we dive this morning into this last chapter of Jonah, I want us to look a little bit at this, this question that, that God asks Jonah. Do you have any right to be angry? Because as I've already mentioned, Jonah was angry with God's response to the people of Nineveh. It was kind of a, a standoff that was happening between uh, God and Jonah because he found it so hard to accept the fact that God was being gracious to these people. And you know, I guess sitting sort of so many years later, about 2,500 years later, from what is happening over here. It's easy for us in this building to say, like, what an ungodly guy this is. I mean, like, surely he would have been happy about what God was doing. So let's just take a moment to look at Jonah's world and the world in which he was living, because maybe we can be a little bit more sympathetic to Jonah and a little bit more understanding as to his response. You see, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and the Assyrians were, were a nation that were responsible for some terrible atrocities. I think uh, some of you will have remembered that uh, I mentioned some while ago that we would have called those things war crimes today. They, they had developed, for example, a technique of skinning a human being alive and then keeping them alive for quite a long time after that. I mean, can you imagine what kind of mind does a person have that you want to inflict such a terrible thing on a human being? That's what the Assyrians were like. Uh, John had, had every reason to despise them. They were the enemy, the enemy of Israel and the Israelites. This was the capital city of their enemies. And these were the people Jonah would have avoided like the plague because they represented everything he disliked in the world. And these would have been the reasons he would have given. He said, well, why don't you want to go there? He said, here's the reasons. Let's talk about it. You'll understand it. But the interesting thing is, when we are reading Jonah and the story of Jonah, when we come to the end of Jonah, we are left with a question to answer. It's interesting that God leaves uh, the, the whole story with a question. And in a sense, for us as readers, we are left with that question. And the question is this, should I not be concerned about that great city? My question to you this morning is, should God be concerned about the city of Cape Town? Yes or no? Did you feel that God should be concerned about this great city? You see, the story of Jonah invites us to evaluate our attitude and our response to lost people as well. Like many other people, as you read Jonah, we're invited to consider our attitude and our response to lost people, because I want to say this morning, God cares about lost people. The question you've got to ask, and the question I've been asking myself is, do I care for lost people as well? Remember in Luke chapter 19 in the New Testament, we read this account of, of Jesus, and he meets a, a guy, because the guy's up in the tree. Can you remember his name? Zacchaeus, that's it. Glad some of you got, didn't say somebody else. He, and, and this guy's up in the tree because he's, he's wanting to meet Jesus. Something's been going on in his heart. God's been doing something in his heart. And so Jesus meets with Zacchaeus and said, like, I'm going to come to your home and have a meal with you. And everybody starts muttering 
about that. People are unhappy about what Jesus is going to do. And, and, and he, he responds to, to what they're saying by, by saying this, the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. There's another occasion where he meets up with a tax collector by the name of Matthew Levi. He became one of the, one of the disciples, one of the apostles. And, 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 and he goes to that man's home as well and he's having a meal there. And people again are starting to be critical and asking questions. Why is he hanging out with people like that? Do you know why they were asking those questions? Because as a Jew, people understood that if you went and you were in a place that was unclean and met with unclean people, you would become unclean as well. And so there's a sense of what people are saying. You hanging out there, that's going to make you unclean. And Jesus responds in this way. He says, not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Or maybe you want to consider the, the Apostle Paul and, and his response to lost people. He says, though I'm free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, in brackets, although I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am free, not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, the law of love. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. And I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. In other words, our response to lost people is important to God. And I want to ask you, what's your response to lost people? Would you say you fall on the side of Jonah? Or would you say you fall on the side of having a real heart and compassion for lost people? You see, when I started reading this and going through it, I thought, well, actually, I do have a heart for lost people. I do have compassion for lost people. Then I began to unpack it and, and ask myself a few hard questions. Because you see, this whole thing of our attitude towards, the, attitude towards the lost plays itself out in different ways. Let me share some of those with you. It's by having the right attitude to people of other cultures. That's one of the ways it plays out. You remember that the Ninevites were, were, were people of another culture. And although Jonah is not about cultural diversity, he's definitely being instructed by God to go to people of a different culture. You remember Jesus when one day he was traveling and he intentionally goes through Samaria, the route that most Jews would have avoided in those days. And he meets up with a Samaritan woman who was a social outcast because of her lifestyle. And John tells us, that when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. What Jesus was doing, he was breaking all of the cultural norms of the day. 
Here was Jesus who meets up with a woman that no Jew wanted to have any contact with, and he begins to engage her because he's concerned about people of other cultures. Remember the one occasion where we're told that Jesus becomes angry. And Jesus tells us why he's become angry. It says because there are people in the temple that are prohibiting the nations coming to pray. My house will be called a house of prayer for the nations. And our goal at Connect Church is not only that people from every culture will feel welcome, but we want to be a church that celebrates cultural diversity because this is God's church. Just our attitude to people of other cultures. There's another way that we can test our, our whole approach and attitude to to lost people is by, are we willing to put other people first? See, this is where the, the worm and where the vine and the wind all come in. God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And God's whole point is here, I want to show you that you are way more concerned about your stuff, your comforts, and what is yours, than you really are about 120,000 people perishing. You see, as soon as stuff that's ours and close to us and that we've enjoyed starts getting touched, you discover what's going on in your heart. We want to be focused, and we want to focus here on lost people as a church. And because of that, we want to be intentional about putting other people first. You might ask yourself, what's that look like? What does it look like to put other people first? I think there's some very practical ways we do that. It's like our, our, the, our willingness to be friendly and to be welcoming to people that we don't know. It's one of the ways we practice that. We want to be alert to what God is saying to other people. I've been so encouraged as I've been talking to different people from Connect Church where they say, when I came here, God had just put certain person on my heart. And, and I went to them afterwards and I was able to pray with them, encourage them, speak to them, whatever. And there was a sense of that God was at work because other people became important. I was speaking to somebody uh, this morning straight after the 8 o'clock service and said they were in a restaurant the other night and they were watching one of the, the people on duty in the restaurant and God just put that person on their heart and he said, I just got up right in the middle of my meal. I just couldn't contain myself and went over to this person and he said, I'm just a Christian. God has put me on you on my heart. Do you mind if I pray and the guy was he couldn't speak for 30 minutes i'm not 30 minutes 30 seconds this guy was blown away and was able to just pray for him it's other people we don't want our desires and our needs to make us insensitive to god's concern for the city how many of you know have heard of andy stanley Okay, okay, quite a few of you. Some of you don't. He's pastoring a, quite a big church in, in the United States. And once a year, he does a very interesting thing. He takes his whole staff, uh, his team and his leaders, during the week when there's nobody in the building, and he gets them seated there. And he said, I want you to imagine today that this is your first time to ever set your foot in a church. And he said, you know what happens here 
in on Sundays. You know what happens here during the week. He said, I want you to ask yourself one question. What do we do well and what do we do really badly when it comes to lost people? And it's just something they intentionally do as a church. And the third thing is this. Our attitude towards lost people, it's accepting that what God is doing will always involve His people. Have you noticed that, that God gets people involved by speaking to them? And if you've noticed that God simply spoke to Jonah. And there's, is, there, I mean, is there a sort of awareness in your heart this morning God is speaking to us about the city? Isn't it interesting that God is quite persistent when He does that? That God is not, doesn't give up easily with, with Jonah. When Jonah eventually tells his story, he says, you know what I discovered? Eventually, by the end of the story, and when this whole city had repented, he said, you know what I discovered? I said that the, the storm that was happening in my life actually wasn't just a coincidence. The storm that was happening was, was God trying to get my attention. And, and, and then you know what happened after that is some sailors, they threw me overboard uh, to save the ship. And he said, and you know what I discovered? That God sent a big fish that swallowed me. And then he went on to say, and you know that uh, uh, when I was there, I was still reluctant, although I preached, and, and God wanted to make a point and God caused the vine to grow and then God sent a worm and then God sent a wind that blew across and he's looking back and he's saying God's not giving up on me and I want to say that as God's church he will not give up on us and what he's told us to do God's concern for lost people is going to involve you and me it's going to involve us now this whole message is to help us with our response to lost people. And, and there are times the church have really got it right when it comes to lost people. I think we've done a great job, but there are times we've done a bad job as well. Um, but, but this year, as we look at Jonah's life, it's to, it's to help us with our response to lost people, to help us to keep cultivating healthy attitudes to the people we rub shoulders with. Let me share with you what I think that means. I think it means that God is going to speak to other people through us. God is going to speak to other people. It, Paul, Paul put it like this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. God is going to use you and God's going to use me to speak to other people. Just ask yourself the question this morning. Very simply, who is God putting on your heart today? What opportunities is God giving you? Where are the people God wants me to reach out to? One of the people on my radar is the guy that cuts my hair. Now, I know we don't have long to talk when we're together, but at least we, we're having, he's, he's somebody that God's put on my heart. I'm just trying to, trying to be intentionally alert to the people God is putting on my heart at the moment. It, it means wanting to see people coming to Christ is a priority that all of us hold very closely to our hearts. Where Paul said, I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I've discovered that there's some wonderful opportunities around us to minister to people. We, uh, during the course of this past year, we did a, a course we called the, the evangelism course or doing evangelism supernaturally and looked at the different ways that Jesus ministered to people around him. 
And as part of the practical, and you have to do some practical if you do this course, we went off one Saturday morning to Green Market Square, uh, some of us, and we had an opportunity to engage people walking around on a Saturday morning in Green Market Square. Do you know that there were 54 people willing to give us a few minutes to talk to them about Jesus? I mean, I thought that, I would never have thought that if you'd asked me before that. There were people that responded to the ministry there. Yesterday, some of you might notice there was a wedding over here yesterday. This is, these are the remnants of the wedding. But uh, we were just during the, during the tea and the reception afterwards talking outside. How many of you have seen this, this design that's on the wall over here that was done by one of the refugees? How many of you have seen it? Put your hands up. Wow. Some of you need to go and have a look. Just in the, uh, under the, uh, the, the overhang outside over here, you'll see there's this beautiful design that was done. About 10 years ago, you will remember, there was a, a, a whole uprising in, in Cape Town where there was this massive xenophobia that took place. And there were people in this church who, who took those people that had been displaced, took them into their homes. There were 70 people staying over the road in number 18, uh, the house that we own over the road. And it was, I think it was, must have been maybe a year, two years or three years later, one of those people did this, he'd created a 3D of this area and of the church. And he brought it to us to say, thank you for a church that reached out to me and I saw God's love in action. Friends, that's what we're talking about. God uses different ways and different things we do. It means that we do the ministry, but God does the work. <laughs> do you know the best type of ministry is to know that you're only called to do the work in God, rather the ministry and God does the work in people's lives. Paul said, who's Apollos and what is Paul? I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one who makes things grow. And our goal here as a church is we simply want to see the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives. Do you know that you can't manipulate that? I cannot manipulate the work of the Holy Spirit. All I can do is be obedient. I can do what God's saying to me, but He is the one who brings the increase. And I believe as we are faithful, so we begin to see the increase in what is happening. Then it means serving wherever you can. I planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. Do you know that there are people in this, people sitting here this morning, in fact, I want to say for all of you, you have incredible gifts. God has gifted some of you in the most amazing way with the gift of evangelism. There are incredibly pastoral people sitting here. There are people who've got incredible discernment, words of knowledge, mercy, all of those kinds of things. You are sitting over here and God wants to use you for the sake of His name and the lost in the city. May I just share this with you? And it's a, a, Because we normally talk about gifted people in the context of believers in the context of the church. I believe God has gifted people out in the marketplace. I believe God has gifted business people. I believe He's given you a gifting to bring His blessing where you serve Him over there, that people would see the work of God through you. It is part of your testimony. And lastly, I believe that having the right attitude for the lost means 
letting lost people know that the Lord really loves them. Do you know that's one of the hardest things people find and struggle with? Is when, when they hear that God loves lost people. For God so what the world? When Jesus hung on a cross, it was God's way of saying, I love a lost world. And Romans, Paul said, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God cares for lost people in our city. I believe God is wanting to mobilize His church even more than before for the city. May I say to you, I don't only believe God wants to see people saved, He wants the structures to be transformed in the city. And I want to invite you with me. Will you and will, can we together keep Trusting God for the transformation of the city. I ask you this question this morning because there are times when we get worn down. There are times when we get discouraged. There are times when we see things happening around about us. We say, there's no change that's taking place. Friends, we've got to believe that if God can change a city like Nineveh, He can change a city like Cape Town. That's what we want to trust God for. And so as we close off this morning, I'm going to ask the worship team if they will lead us in a song. It's a declaration. It is a prophetic song. You're the God of the city. And you're the Lord of this nation. And there are greater things that are yet to, to be done. Greater things that are, still going to be, that are still going to be done in the city. And so we want to sing the song over our city as it were this morning. And trust God. You don't need to do the changing. You just need to do the serving. I just need to do the serving. But He is the God of the city. And as we sing it out, let's trust God for a move of the Spirit as we've not seen in many years. Have you ever, ever, ever in your time seen God change a whole city like He did the city of Nineveh? But God's done it once. And God can do it again. That is what we were singing earlier on this morning. So stand with me as we sing these words.
You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in the darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. lately by the God of the impossible. In Hebrews it tells us that nothing, I mean it is impossible to please God without faith. And when Mary was told that she was going to have a, a child of virgin birth, she said nothing is impossible with God. And I'm just standing here today and I'm wondering if our minds are actually blocking God from moving in this city. That do we believe that when we read the newspapers of corruption, with, not in the country, in the local parliament, when, when we see no rain, when we see all of this stuff, is it actually our minds that block it and say this is impossible to change? Are we, the church, limiting God from moving in the city? Are we the stumbling block? Do we really believe that nothing is impossible for God? Or do we think, yo, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it. And I think we need to be challenged by the fact that it's impossible to please God without faith. And we need to say, God, you are the God of the impossible. Thank you. Thanks, Luke. I, um, I want to do something very intentional this morning. Al, Lisa, and Steve, if you can join me on the stage, please. These are all business people in our city, and uh, I want to ask them uh, to pray. Rick, are you open to pray this morning? Are you comfortable? Come and join us as well. These are all business people in the city, 
And, uh, you know, it's fine for me. I'm pastoring the church here. But these are people right at the coalface uh, in different ways. And I want to ask each of you just to, in a short prayer, to pray over our city, whatever God puts on your heart this morning. As people who are at the coalface, you're seeing what's happening, uh, you, you're facing it every day of your lives. We want to believe God um, that He is going to bring transformation in our city this morning. And I think one of the things we've got to do is pray for that and trust that we're going to start seeing impossibilities becoming realities. So Steve, maybe you can start and we can just pass the mic along. So if you want to sit down, I'm fine with that, but we're going to just take a few moments to pray for our city this morning. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Lord, I want to just particularly, just as we have our offices in Woodstock and the 55 people that work there, um, oh, Lord, I want to thank you for the lives that, uh, that, that I have an opportunity to influence. Um, but, Lord, I pray that you would, you would just pour out your spirit in that Woodstock area. Thank you, Lord, for how you are rejuvenating that space. But yet at the same time, people are being displaced. How, how a spirit of ungodliness is also moving in. And Lord, we pray that you, would, that you would pour out your spirit, that you would bring men and women of faith into that place, that, that your kingdom would be known. Lord God, I pray for just... Um, yeah, I just think of all, you know, the, the number of people that I sort of have conversations with just in the office of how, you know, the, the, the covenant of marriage is just such a, just such a non-thing um, in so many people's lives. It's just easier to, to, to live together and just sort of enjoy that and then sort of maybe move on or, or whatever, you know. But Lord, I pray that you would also just establish your covenants over people so that your goodness, your fruit, what you intend for us, may may be um, yeah may may be a reality, in Jesus' name, Lord. I pray also that that as you know, as you raise up people with opportunities to influence in different businesses, that we would be ministers of transformation, Lord. As the the BE codes become more sort of uh, um, you know more difficult to to front. <laughs> for want of a better description. Lord, I pray instead that there will be a real stirring so that as businesses that we might be about transformation. Lord, I think of the orphanages and the shelters just in the Woodstock area. That, Lord, that you would bring businesses and people and people with means to, to support those groups. Not because they want to, you know, they have an ulterior motive, but simply because we are the hands and feet. So, Lord, help us, equip us to be ministers of transformation, ministers of, of your covenants in this place, in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Father, we praise you. We glorify you. We uplift your name. Who are we that you are so mindful of us? Who are we, dear Lord, that you care so much for us? Lord, you created us as stewards over your creation, yet we, like sheep, have gone astray. But today, Father, in the name of Jesus, in the light of your word, we take back that stewardship for the city of Cape Town. Father, we go out in the authority of your name and we take back those places that have been robbed 
Lord, that had been taken by Satan, dear Lord. Those places of authority in government, in business, we take back in the name of Jesus. We bind the works of the evil one. He will not have dominion over the people of God. Father, our voices will no longer be silent. Wherever we place our footsteps, dear Lord, we claim that, that footstep, that area, that place, dear Lord, for Jesus. We pray, Father, that by your Spirit, you will permeate every section of this city. Lord, and heal the ground. Heal the buildings and the people that move through them. That they might know that there is a God in heaven. Lord, as your people, strengthen us. Give us a sense of boldness and courage that we will not stand back. We will not be quiet while Satan ravages our city and our country. But we will stand for what is right. And we will be your stewards, your hands, your feet, and your voice Amen. in the midst of this calamity that has befallen our country. And we will speak the oracles of God Amen. that people may know that Jesus Christ is Lord. For your honor, Lord, and for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that you said that you've equipped us for every good work. And you place us where you place us, God, for a purpose. And I, I pray for every person here today in their workplace that you would release them. God, I pray, release them to be witnesses of God in the place that they are. I pray that they would be like Daniel, that wouldn't just follow as per the rules of the space they're in. They would be following you. Um, who are we to obey man and not to obey God? So I pray for that release to be a witness in every space. Yeah, Father, your, um, your word on, on my heart for, for now is, is hope. Um, there's a generation and, and there's people in the marketplace that are hopeless, Lord, that are um, stressed. I, I think... The amount of people I see in my office and in my clients that are stressed, facing pressures and unable to deal with it and looking to everything other than God for healing from the stress. And God, the lights that you've placed within the workplaces uh, begin with me and all the people here, God. Just may the light burn brightly that draws those, those moths that are looking for light in the darkness. May they come and just come closer to our lights, Lord. Give us um, words in season, Lord. There would be an encouragement for those that are seeking a hope in the place that they're in. And uh, I pray for your people, Lord, that we wouldn't shrink back from opportunity. We would be courageous and bold, Lord, to just share the reason for the hope that we have and uh, that lives, Lord, will begin to be transformed through the story of, of what you've done, Lord, and what you continue to do. 
and that you are the answer to a hopeless situation, Lord. Father, we remember this morning, there is no other army that you are mobilizing other than your church. Father, we are aware that this is, this is not a time of peace for us. It is a time of great war and great battle. And so, Lord, I pray that all of us will be strengthened for battle, that we'll be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We will know how to resist and when to resist. We will know when to be quiet and when to speak. We will know, Lord, when to step out and when to hold back. Father, we want to march to one drumbeat. It's the voice of the living God. And so, Father, I pray that we, as we as a church, but Lord, also your church right throughout the city, hears the voice of God. May there only be one response. Yes, Lord, we are here to serve you and to see the city changed. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody.